Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Good morning, everybody. It is 9.04 a.m., 15th of May, 2019. This is episode 97 of Bitcoin and. And I didn't get my lawnmower. Nope. It it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Uh, some of y'all know this. I tweeted about it yesterday. Um, I was going to use uh, Lolly extension uh, on Ace Hardware's uh, online ordering site and actually order something that was already in a store because they offered this thing where you can just go pick it up. You order it online and, and actually drive to the store and, and go pick the thing up. And so, you know, I, Took a picture of the of the thing that, of the lawnmower that I wanted, brought it home, and promptly ordered a lawnmower online that was one letter off of the model number. I ordered the FH instead of the AH, and a cascade failure of freaking epic proportions has occurred. <laughs> this has nothing to do with Lolly. It is not Lolly's fault. This is, you know, essentially it's my fault, but also Ace Hardware's uh, online ordering thing uh, and and their backup systems and fraud detection and whatnot. Because, I mean, I got to tell you, man, this is, it's not a nightmare, but it is an annoyance that is just my God almighty. Okay, so what happened? So I order this thing. It's, I don't get a, a com- or I get a confirmation email that I ordered it. And it's like, okay, we'll send you another email when it's ready to be picked up at the store. So an hour goes by. I'm like, yeah. So I call the store and I go, hey, man, you got this order number in? And he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. So I call a corporate uh, Ace Hardware's uh, customer service line, have a really nice chat with uh, uh, this lady that that answered the phone and helped me out. And, you know, I thought we had it fixed and we didn't. Essentially what happened, she goes, um, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to cancel that order. Here is exactly the number of the item that you want, and I can see that they have it in their store. So what you'll what we'll do is we'll cancel this order, and you'll get a, a, an email confirmation of that. I did. And she goes, um, now you're going to have to order it again, and I advise you to use a different credit card because our fraud detection is pretty rough. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, you know, you for for obvious reasons that makes sense. So I do. I order the correct object, I double check it, you know, and again I'm like, you know, ho, you know, ho, you know, I'm doing this because I want to stack the sats from from Lolly. And uh so I order the thing and I get another email saying, "Hey, your your order is being processed. You'll get another one uh when it's ready to be picked up at the store." And I'm like, "Yay, 2 hours go by, I get nothing." Like, okay, so I just call customer service at Ace Hardware and and talk to a different person and get the following. Um, 
that transaction has been flagged as fraud and it looks like it's being flagged as fraud from your bank. And I'm like, okay, if it's my bank, it's not your problem. So I call my bank and my bank is like, no, we see the transaction. It's pending against your balance. We don't have any flags thrown up. We're just waiting for the transaction to complete. We can't do anything. Fair enough. Call back, uh, call Ace Hardware back. And they're like, no, you're going to have to call your bank back and have them terminate that transaction. I'm like, okay. So I call my bank back and I tell my bank what's going on. And they go, sir, we can't terminate this transaction. I don't know if they can or not. But I mean, she sounded pretty adamant. She was like, no, there's nothing we can do, man. This is, you're just going to have to have them terminate the transaction on their end because for us, it's pending. I'm like, okay. So I call Ace Hardware back. Talk to a, a different person yet again who can who can see that this thing has been flagged. And I go, well, so what happens now? And she's like, well, this transaction isn't going anywhere. And I go, yeah, but I got like over 400 bucks that's locked up, you know, because it's pending against my, my balance. And I, I have like no access to four, you know, like over 400, $400 until this is, you know, until we figure this out. And she goes, well, we can't, that this transaction is dead to us. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> they can't do it. They're, they're saying they can't do anything. So I call my bank back one more time and tell them what's going on. And literally I could hear the face palm. I could hear the face palm on the other end of the phone. And she goes, look, I've got this whole mess written down in my notebook. I will go in in the morning and I will check to make sure or to see where we're at. And if something has changed, then I will call you. And if nothing has changed, uh, if you want to check periodically, it would be a good idea just for you to call back. And I go, okay, so that's where we are. So through all this mess and all I'm trying to do is get some of those Satoshis, man. And through all this mess, I, I still have a lawn that is has ryegrass heads up to my thighs. I am on a I'm on a corner lot by a fairly busy street, and the city is I, I know the city is just waiting to write me up, man. So there you go. There's there's my adventure. And again, this has nothing to do with Lolly. Go try Lolly at try Lolly. Maybe try underscore lolly. I'm not sure. Uh, either one of those. But um, so and, and buy your stuff. But you may want to be very, very careful because some of these companies uh, can be ornery when it comes to online ordering. Um, it's it's weird. It's just weird. I haven't done it before, like online order. I've you know ordered stuff online before, of course. But ordering something that I you know want to go get at the store uh, so that I can take part of of uh, getting some Satoshis out of Lolly. Uh, I have never, I hadn't done that yet. And so this is the first day that I was, you know, yesterday was the first day that I was actually going to try Lolly. Right. And it, it just didn't work. And again, not Lolly's fault. And it's really kind of not even Ace Hardware's fault when you get right down to it. I was, <clears throat> I guess I just had a dyslexic attack or something and an F or an A turned into an F in my brain. I don't know what, uh, anyway, that, that one letter change has made, has caused a cascade failure again of, of almost epic proportions. It's hilarious. So I guess I'm just going to go and have to buy that thing outright from the store. Uh, 
and 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 miss my chance to stack sats with that so there's my adventure right there uh what are we doing today um First thing up in the stack is going to be from Yogita Khatri. This is an article out of Coindesk.com. Hacked cryptocurrency exchange Cryptopia goes into liquidation. So this was today. Cryptopia, the cryptocurrency exchange hit by a major attack in mid-January, has gone into liquidation and suspended trading operations. The news was announced Wednesday by Cryptopia's assigned liquidator, professional services firm Grant Thornton, New Zealand. Cryptopia confirmed the news on Twitter as well as on its website. Possibly signaling changes afoot, Cryptopia's website went under maintenance yesterday without any message to the public on its social media platforms. It was first noticed by a Redditor who asked whether the exchange had been hacked again. Back in January, Cryptopia went offline for a couple of days before stating mid-month that it had, quote, suffered a security breach, which resulted in significant losses. A blockchain data analytics firm estimated after the attack that as much as 16 million in Ether and ERC-20 tokens could have been lost. Later in March, the exchange restarted trading services, but still had banking issues. Grant Thornton said the lack, the hack had a severe impact on the company's trade. And despite the management's efforts to reduce cost and return the business to profitability, it was decided that liquidation was the best path forward for all stakeholders. David Rusko and Russell Moore from Grant Thornton will help Cryptopia secure its assets for the benefit of all stakeholders, according to today's announcement. Quote, while this process and investigation take place, trading on the exchange is suspended. Grant Thornton said, adding that the complex investigation will take months rather than weeks. Of course, of course it's going to be months. Commenting on Cryptopia's Twitter announcement, numerous customers have expressed frustration that they were not allowed to withdraw funds since the hack, with some also calling for creditors to organize and take legal action against the exchange. Rusko said, quote, we realize Cryptopia's customers will want to have this matter resolved as soon as possible. We will conduct a thorough investigation, working with several different stakeholders, including management and shareholders, to find the solution that is in the best interest of customers and stakeholders. Grant Thornton is expected to file an initial report on the case next week on the New Zealand company's office website. So there you go. Cryptopia back in the news, going to get liquidated. So yeah, man, uh, again, warning, fair warning. And this is really good advice. Don't keep your shit on exchanges. People just don't. There's a reason we bitch and moan about this on, on, on Twitter all the time. Not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Tron is firing back at their CTO. Uh, This is out of CCN.com. Tron plot thickens. CTO was fired for bribery and theft, says Justin Sun. This is from uh, Greg Thompson. Uh, as, As of today, earlier this week, the chief technical officer of Tron announced his departure from the project. Lucian Chen, who had been with Tron since 2017, laid out a three point explanation of why Tron is no longer Tron. But in the days following his announcement, Tron PR sprung into action according oh, sorry, according to official Tron representatives. Lucian Chen was actually fired months ago in January 2019. The reason, quote, suspicion of misappropriations of funds, 
bribery, competitive infringement, and theft of trade secrets and intellectual property. CEO and founder Justin Sun lent validation to this claim by retweeting it, and a Reddit thread popped up which relayed this information to the TRX community. But as early as two days ago, Lucian Chang, <clears throat> or Chen, was still listed as the Tron CTO on LinkedIn, now updated. No official announcement was made concerning this apparently huge corporate crime back in January, and Tron developers and investors seemed appear to have been left. Hold on, something freaked out on me for a second. Uh, Tron developers and investors appear to have been left in the dark this whole time. So <laughs> I like this this subheadline. Former CTO sets fire to Tron on his way out. Indeed, the first time Chen's alleged crimes were mentioned was shortly after he began speaking out against Tron. This has led more than one community member to suspect this amounts to little more than an attempt to divert attention away from Chen's criticisms of the project, of which there are many. When Chen announced his departure earlier this week, he called out Justin Sun for diluting Tron's vision. Chen said Tron is nowhere near decentralized, is not capable of running internet applications, and that it has abandoned the spirit of blockchain. He added, quote, the whole project has developed into a monetary tool without, e- without any decentralized the web spirit. Justin Sun has often been accused of lacking technical acumen. Chen, who appears to have been the technical brains behind the project, said, quote, the technology platform of Tron was built by me. I certainly know that the real internet applications cannot function in Tron network at all currently. The Tron ecosystem is still far from commercial applications that users can really apply to. Chen said irreconcilable differences between he and Justin Sun forced him to leave, adding that the idea he was sold by Justin in 2017 is not the project which exists today. The only source of the claims against Chen come from this Reddit thread, and there's a link in the r forward slash tronic subreddit a moderator on the sub you po uh, appears to be the only person in existence to have received any information regarding chen's alleged crimes the post details the accusations made against the former cto including claims of bribery misappropriation of funds and theft of trade secrets and intellectual property it adds that chen and others are under investigation quote chen zu and z were dismissed in January 2019 for violation of corporate policies and the law. Relevant documents and materials have been handed over to the judiciary, end quote. If the CTO of a major company is fired on suspicion of the crimes mentioned above, surely it would be something developers, speculators, and investors would like to know about. Yet, despite the severity of the crimes, no mention of them were made in January when Shen was supposedly fired. All of this amounts to yet another crazy chapter in the tragic comedy (laughs) that is Tron. It comes in the same week that Justin Sun made the ridiculous claim that he single-handedly saved the crypto market by offering Binance $40 million to cover their hack. I didn't know he said that. Oh, my God. How did I miss that? Oh, really? No way. Really? Single-handedly saved the crypto market. Wow, Justin. That's some narcissist shit right there. Speaking on stage at the TWN 2019 conference in Amsterdam, Sun said, quote, I definitely know I have a great impact on the community and the cryptocurrency price. God, the narcissism. When Binance got hacked the other day, the Bitcoin price dropped from 5,900 to 5,700. 
Okay, that's just the daily shit right there, man. Uh, then I posted a tweet in which I said that I would send $40 million in USDT to support Binance. And the price went back up right away. It's hard. It's so hard to read some of this stuff, man. At this point, Justin Sun's word carries very little weight. Conspiracies are flying around on both sides as people try to determine who the real criminal is, Lucian Chen or Justin Sun. One thing that should be noted is that Chen's crippling appraisal of Tron came just as he was announcing his new blockchain project, Volume Network, or VOL. With this in mind, perhaps his words were chosen to draw as many eyes as possible to his new project and should not be taken at face value. Chen did not respond for comment requests <clears throat> by the time this article was written. So, yeah, they're both they're I'm sorry, both of them don't don't give him your money. Don't do it. Uh everything about Tron just looks bad. This makes it look even worse. It's uh it's just a well, it's, it's another shit show. So um, speaking of a general shit show, I want to draw attention to, um, hold on, where is it? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? The Crypto Monk. Okay. At The Crypto Monk, M-O-N-K, has posted a first draft called Known Scammers on Twitter. And he has a link uh, to his Medium article that uh, that holds that information. Now, this one is a it's a pretty it, it's a pretty good read. Now, again, there are known scammers on here, but there are also some other people that I have never heard of. So I try to I want to be you know not critical, but you know. I think healthy skepticism is sort of like something everybody in the space should practice as, as, as long as possible. So not, not bagging on the crypto monk, because I think this is a public service that is well, well, um, you know, not be uh, behind its time. It's about damn time. Somebody did this and I'll give you an example. Uh, let me read the first three paragraphs and then, uh, an example of what he's doing here. If you have been on crypto Twitter for a while, you know, for a fact that this community is infested with scammers using multiple types of get rich quick schemes to lure noobs into giving them away, giving them away their money, inexperienced traders, opening paid groups, illegal funds, promising unrealistic ROI, serial shillers. This is a non-exhaustive list of the kind of frauds occurring on Twitter. In this article, you will find a list of con artists who have already scammed or lured people into shady schemes. This list will not, this list will be non-exhaustive and likely to get updated as more time passes by and more scammers enter the space. Here we go. And the very first one up is Moist Off Crypto. And then he gives a picture of the uh, Twitter account, the uh, uh, avatar. And then what I think is the actual account uh, number. Like if you look at the the numbers, like a, a, each, each Twitter account has a number. So he's given that number. He says, Moist Off Crypto is a scammer who joined early 20." 2018 and started to build a brand on Twitter impersonating a bodybuilder. After being exposed, he changed his avatar to John Stay Moist. <clears throat> he managed to bring together a few thousand followers, then launched an illegal fund gathering uh, 60,000K. 
which he completely lost gambling on BitMEX after just a few months. In a desperate attempt to recoup his his loss, he decided to launch a paid group. And then he's got a couple of uh, uh, screen grabs of tweets. And then there's Crypto Randy, the freaking raccoon that is so cowardly that he just said, I'm sorry, I lost all your money and then left and then came back. And it's just, God, it's just amazing. Uh, so uh, crypto, he's got Crypto Randy and Bitmanny, which uh, seem to be like another thing. Anyway, he's got, a, there's quite a bit of people on here. There is a Bitcoin fund manager. There's Land M underscore Marius. There is Coin Signals. There's Crypto Brahma, whose account is now deleted. Uh, honestly, Crypto's on there. Proof of Research is on there. Obviously, Bitcoin Trey or Trayvon James is on there for any of you who remember BitConnect. Uh, and, and that's it so far. So it's good to see that see people in the community are just getting their fill of bullshit and starting to call people out as they are known scammers. Okay. This is from our buddy, Aaron Von Weirdem, uh, at Bitcoin magazine, despite industry pushback, G20 may impose stricter KYC policy on exchanges. <clears throat> this was from May 13th. It looks as if cryptocurrency service providers will have to adopt stricter no, uh, KYC policies all across the world, and not everyone is happy about that. On February the 22nd, the Intergovernmental Financial Action Task Force on Money Laundering published a draft recommendation for strict and uniform anti-money laundering regulation for cryptocurrency service providers to be finalized by June 2019. The G20, the, tw- the 19 most powerful countries in the world, plus the European Union, have already agreed in December 2018 to accept the recommendation by this intergovernmental body responsible for setting guidelines to combat money laundering and other financial crimes. As such, the recommendation will affect cryptocurrency businesses and users worldwide. On May the 6th and 7th, 2019 in Vienna, the the FATF met and spoke with cryptocurrency businesses as part of its annual private sector cons, uh, consultative forum hosted by the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, of course, of course, and chaired by the president of the FATF, Marshall Billingsla from the United States. Over 300 private sector representatives, including cryptocurrency companies, participated in the forum. In a publication addressing the event, the FATF speaks of fruitful dialogue with a multi-stakeholder group of virtual asset market players. Yet, despite public industry pushback, there has so far been no indication that the Intergovernmental Task Force is about to change its position on stricter KYC rules for cryptocurrency service providers. And this is me talking you shouldn't, uh, you know, I'm going to preempt this right now. If you look like you can be regulated, if you smell like you can be regulated, if you have even a hint of anything that could possibly fall under regulation, you will be regulated to death. That's what these people want. That's how they retain their power. That's how they do it. So the only way out is to select anything that you can that does not look like it can be regulated. Decentralization comes to mind, but we all know how hard that actually is. So the recommendation, the central policy in the FATF recommendation is that cryptocurrency service providers need to be licensed and would have to perform KYC checks on all transactions valued over 1000 us dollars or euros. This is a relatively low bar to ask for user identification as typical AML laws have a lower bound of 10,000 us dollars or euros. 
Whenever relevant authorities ask for the KYC information, service providers must be able to present it. The most controversial part of the recommendation is that this check wouldn't apply to incoming transactions. Oh, I'm sorry. This check wouldn't only apply to incoming transactions. Many service providers already perform such checks today, but also to outgoing transactions. Specifically, a service provider must know whether an outgoing transaction is made towards a user's personal wallet or to another service provider. Moreover, if the outgoing transaction is made toward another service provider, the KYC information is required to be shared with that service provider. The draft recommendation reads, Quote, countries should ensure that originating VASP, virtual asset service providers, obtain and hold required and accurate originator information and required beneficiary information on virtual asset transfers, submit the above information to beneficiary VASPs and counterpart, if any, and make it available on request to appropriate authorities. Realistically, the only way for the cryptocurrency industry to comply with such rules as also pointed out by blockchain president and chief legal officer Marco Santori while addressing similar U.S.-specific guidance, may be to implement a communications layer specifically for cryptocurrency service providers. In other words, a SWIFT for crypto. God. Uh. In its own public statement, FATF did acknowledge that this part of the draft, which is included in paragraph 7b, was not yet guaranteed to be part of the final recommendation. Its inclusion would depend on feedback from cryptocurrency businesses themselves, the organization wrote. Quote, paragraph 7B of the interpretive note has not yet been finalized because it will benefit from private sector consultations to be conducted in May. It may be considered further to reflect technical implications or implementation considerations for final adoption in June 2019. That's this summer, y'all. The public statement reads, the FATF invites private sector entities and other experts to provide written comments on paragraph 7B. I think all those written comments should at least include one instance of GFY. So critique, indeed, not everyone is happy with the draft recommendation. Among the public critics of the draft recommendation is blockchain analytics firm Chainalysis. In a letter signed by COO Jonathan Levine and global head of policy Jesse Spiro, Uh, The company cites technical limitations. Service providers can't tell whether a Bitcoin address belongs to an individual user or another service provider and unintended consequences. The letter also argues that money laundering is better mitigated through cooperation with service providers and the use of analytics tools such as those provided by chain analysis. Quote, in most circumstances, VASPs are unable to tell if a beneficiary is using a VASP or their own personal wallet in any given transaction per the letter. Therefore, requiring a transmission of information identifying the parties is not feasible and forcing onerous investment and friction onto regulated VASPs who are critical allies to law enforcement could reduce their prevalence, drive activity to decentralized and peer-to-peer exchanges, and lead to further de-risking by financial institutions. Last week, Dutch Bitcoin broker Bitonic, or Bitonic, published its own critique concerning the guidelines. Aside from the practical challenges in complying with the policy proposed by FATF, Bitonic warns that it puts the privacy of European citizens at risk. User KYC information would not only be shared with other European service providers, but also with service providers in the U.S. and the rest of the world, by extension, making the information available to authorities abroad. Quote, we believe that it is undesirable from a privacy perspective that the U.S., 
or United States are forcing the EU to endorse such an alarming obligation, which is not just relevant for companies that are active in the virtual currency space, Batonic notes. It is also not clear from the recommendation which types of companies would be considered VASPs exactly. Some gray areas seem to remain, like some like payment innovation consultant Simon Levelvelt, sorry, butchered that one, have, for example, pointed out that it's unclear which products would be considered virtual assets, raising a concern echoed by Batonic. Similar regulations have in the past left unclarity about whether multi-signature wallet providers should be considered custodial services. Besides chain analysis and Bitonic, critics of the draft recommendation include Blockchain Trade Association, the Chamber of Digital Commerce, Payment Service Provider Trade Body, the Electronic Money Association, and blockchain analytics firm CypherTrace. While the draft recommendation is not final yet, there is so far also no indication that the draft will be adjusted. This would mean that the stricter KYC rules will have to be adopted across G20 countries. More specifically, the FATF issues a set of recommendations to implement as law since different countries have diverse legal, administrative, and operational frameworks as well as different financial systems. The FATF recommendations aren't themselves law, nor can countries implement them one-on-one. Instead, G20 members are expected to adopt laws in line with the recommendations. How how countries implement the rules will also be subject to periodic reviews by the FATF. Countries judged to be falling short could ultimately be added to a blacklist that restricts access to global financial system. My interpretation? Death throes. That's my interpretation. However, you know, before we all start cheering about the, the fin- global financial legacy system dying, uh, be aware, some of the most deadly creatures on the face of the planet do their, can do their most damage when they're in their death throes, right? Uh, a cornered animal is one thing. One that has a punctured lung and literally, you know, has nothing left to lose can do some very, very serious damage. The other observation here, uh, decentralized exchanges need to come sooner rather than later. I'm saying that again. If you, if any of you guys out there want to build a decentralized exchange, this better be the fire that just got lit under your ass to get the shit done. So there is that Starbucks. This is a Forbes, uh, Forbes article. I'm only going to read just a little bit of it and it's not going to be why you think Starbucks, Nordstrom and Whole Foods now accept Bitcoin. Just don't ask them. This is Michael Del Castillo from Forbes staff. Uh, This was on Monday. It is a freakishly hot May afternoon when Cameron Winklevoss decides to quench his thirst with a tall, cold-brewed coffee from Starbucks and just a little bit of cream to round it off, as he says. The temperature has shot up 20 degrees since the day before and is 20 degrees hotter than it will be the day after, too. With his twin brother Tyler and small entourage in tow, the six-foot-five Cameron abruptly stands up from a proportionally giant boardroom table at the swanky New York offices of Gemini, the Brothers' cryptocurrency exchange, and makes for the glass door in the glass wall that encloses the immaculately shiny room. During a brisk two-minute walk through the hip Gramercy Park neighborhood, Cameron passes two gyms before entering a Starbucks on the corner of Park Avenue South and 23rd Street. In the same building is the IMG modeling agency that represents Wonder Woman actress Gal Gadot, or Gadot, 
in the spin ping pong lounge owned by actress Susan Sarandon. Moving quickly past the chilled glass case holding cookie dough cake pops dipped in melted milk chocolate and donut cake pops and strawberry frosting with giant rainbow sprinkles, he approaches the counter with an infrared Honeywell scanner sits sandwiched between bunches of ripe bananas and Starbucks-branded sugar-free chewing gum. As the song Work by Rihanna blares through the coffee shop speakers, Cameron orders a small cold-brewed coffee he's been craving and takes out his phone. He brings up the beta version of a new app called Spendin', built by little-known payment startup Flexa, and waves a QR code in front of the Honeywell scanner, paying for the drink with a cryptocurrency he and his brother invented that's powered by the Ethereum blockchain. Oh, my God. It took this person a freaking winter's worth of time to get to the very first point of this article. Guys, if don't, please don't write this way. This is good for fiction or like airport paperback pornography books or some shit like that. But man, news, get, get it to me, get to the point. Okay, this is one of the reasons why I like the block crypto. And I know they're taking a lot of heat right now, but at least they get right to the freaking point. This took this person took forever with this like pastoral, you know, episode of of Tyler and and the other Winklevi coming into a Starbucks. And I don't want to I don't know. I don't care. Second thing about this is, is that. Yeah, crypto the the Gemini dollar is what they're what they're using. So we really need to step back off uh, and see, you know, how this whole th- these Monday announcements of Nordstroms and Starbucks and Whole Foods and all that kind of stuff and the whole spending and flexa and crap. We really need to step back and take a very good serious look as to are they actually using Bitcoin or are they saying that and then using some kind of shit coin or shit stable coin. Uh, so that is all I'm going to do. But again, guy riders, please. Please don't do that. It's just, I don't want to take a walk with Tyler Winklevoss through fucking Gramercy Park so he can go get a coffee. I don't want to do it. I'm sure he's a right fine dude, him and his brother, but I don't want to be with them on their walk. Okay, so getting back up into it, we have, um, what is it? Oh, a new version of the Glacier Protocol is out, guys. This is version 0.94 of the Glacier Protocol. And the Glacier Protocol can be found at their uh, github.com, Glacier Protocol. Let me see what the exact one is. Yeah, github.com forward slash Glacier Protocol forward slash Glacier Protocol. Okay, so go there if you're interested in the Glacier Protocol. Now, what is it? It's probably the most secure way on the face of the planet that anybody has ever devised to keep cryptocurrency safely in cold storage. And, and that's where, they, where they're getting the glacier. The other thing about the glacier, uh, why glacier protocol is apropos, is that to move your money or your cryptocurrency out of the glacier protocol is like geologic time spans. And it's designed that way. It is, the, as far as I know, it is the most secure way to keep your cryptocurrency. And it's also the best way to let you cool your heels because by the time you complete getting your cryptocurrency out of Glacier Protocol, the the buying the dip is not an op- selling the dip or selling the top and, 
and, and buying the dip or, or vice versa if you're not good at it or whatever. No, that's not going to happen. You're, you're not going to be able to do that. It, this thing is designed for, you know, for people who want to keep this shit away, locked away for like 20 years and never, ever, ever have to worry about it. So, uh, but go check it out because it's, it is a brutal protocol. Uh, and I first learned about it from Trace Mayer, uh, on his podcast, uh, the Bitcoin knowledge podcast, which is really good, by the way, really good. It was one of the very first ones that I picked up and learned a lot from Trace that got me over, uh, the bullshit. Um, anyway, so Glacier Protocol z- version 0.94 is out. And here we have Jimmy Aki is writing Grayscale reports $3.2 million average weekly investment in Bitcoin trust. Oh my God. Uh, first quarter of 2019 was bullish for the digital asset management firm Grayscale Investments, and the company is gearing up to have another run. According to a first quarter digital asset investment report from the company published on May 13th, 2019, product inflows from Grayscale Investments grew by 42% over the fourth quarter of 2018. The company revealed that its Bitcoin investment trust saw the vast majority of investments in the quarter as the trust secured an average weekly investment of $3.2 million out of the firm's total weekly investment count of $3.3 million, leaving non-Bitcoin investment products driving less than $1 million in average weekly investments. Grayscale's non-Bitcoin investments include trusts for cryptocurrencies such as Ether, Bcash, Ripple, ugh, and other shitcoins. Jimmy says digital assets. I call them shitcoins. So... Yeah, I mean it, the the it's a longer article than that, but I don't want to get too far into it because the 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 thrust here is that Grayscale is making some money and they are drive they're seem to be driving people into actual Bitcoin. So we can say what we want about Barry, but at least Barry is you know at least his his thing with Grayscale is is driving people in mostly the right direction. Uh, BitGo announcement. Uh, God, this is from Landon Manning. And I, BitGo, in my opinion, is not something to be touched because they were on the wrong side of the war, in uh, of the hashing war, the scaling debates, the Segwit2x, all that. Uh, no, I'm not really all that happy with it. But they do have a pretty big announcement. So this is, uh, again, Landon Manning. This was from yesterday, May the 14th. Blockchain security company BitGo is launching a new service for institutional clients, a clearing and settlement system that operates off-chain. That's right, off-chain. BitGo announced this new service in a press release on May 14th, describing some of the features that this new system will have. Assets never need to leave custody, according to the announcements, and counterparty risk is minimized with BitGo acting as custodian for both sides of any deal. Going to get regulated. BitGo expects its in-house clearing and settlement service to make arranging such deals more convenient. For example, all funds up for negotiation will remain in cold storage until after an agreement is signed so that the risks of fraud by either party or outside actors is minimized. Additionally, investors do not need to break up their balance sheets by parking assets at every exchange with which, with which they wish to trade. The new service has evidently been in the works for quite some time. In September 2018, BitGo first received the go-ahead from regulators to act as a qualified custodian for digital assets, a necessary prerequisite for this plan. 
at the time, BitGo Chief, Compli- BitGo's Chief Compliance Officer Shala Ali told Bitcoin Magazine that the company intended to offer storage for assets designed for institutional customers. The press release announced <clears throat> announcing the new service specifically mentions that it is only available to this type of client. God. The off-chain clearing and settlement service is the first publicly announced project specific to the BitGo Trust Company. It is unclear whether or not the service will ever open up to a wider variety of investors. Currently, the service is only available to OTC desks, single dealer platforms, exchanges, asset managers, and broker dealers, according to the press release. And this may be the extent of BitGo's plan, probably. Probably not going to get into uh, retail investment, so whatever. Again, if you look like you're going to be regulated and can't be regulated, you either are are already regulated like BitGo or you're about to be regulated really quick. So here's the deal. Again, my plea to all you guys that know how to do shit out there. If you can decentralize this crap, please do it because time is, uh, uh, we got a clock ticking in the background, guys. Oh, and also from yesterday, this is uh, from the block crypto block or block face block. (laughs) I like that face block. Facebook hires Coinbase employees amid continued speculation on its crypto ambitions. Facebook hired two Coinbase employees this month, according or adding both Jeff, Jeff Cartwright. And I have, there's no hope for me to pronounce Mikhail's last name. Mucharafi. I, I know, I butchered it. I shouldn't even try. To his compliance team, according to both Cartwright and the gentleman's last name's LinkedIn profile. <clears throat> the hires add to the intrigue surrounding Facebook's blockchain efforts with mounting speculation on the social media giant's crypto project Libra. Evidence suggests Facebook has acquired a trademark for the name and that the project includes the development of a stablecoin, otherwise known as a shitcoin. Indeed, the secrecy around the project is raising the concern of regulators. Last week, the U.S. Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs asked questions of Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg via an open letter addressing how the company plans to handle regulatory and privacy concerns if it launches a cryptocurrency payment system. Cartwright left Coinbase for Facebook after five years at the cryptocurrency exchange, during which time he worked in compliance management and audit before stepping into the director role of the regulatory risk and exams team. The gentleman's last name that I can't pronounce left after nearly four years working in a variety of roles at Coinbase, including as a compliance manager. While their LinkedIn profiles do not directly address working on Facebook's blockchain projects, Facebook is actively pursuing candidates for its own blockchain team with multiple job postings in blockchain-focused roles. Crypto news site Coindesk first reported on the hires. So, yeah, Facebook is, uh, they're still going to be chugging at it, and it doesn't look like they're going to end anytime soon. Uh, Jimmy Lubin and Jimmy song have a bet and they apparently bet half a million freaking dollars on a crypto bet on Ethereum's future out of coindesk.com yesterday, Brady Dale is writing the terms of a much hype bet have finally been settled and at current prices, more than $500,000 in in crypto is on the line. It's a maximum pain kind of bet. Jimmy song said during a session of coin desk live at consensus 2019 skin in the game. 
The new detail stems from an onstage agreement from Consensus 2018 where Lubin told Song that he would bet any amount of Bitcoin that Ethereum's decentralized apps would have a non-trivial number of users in five years. Song had accused Lubin of weaseling out of the bet in recent weeks, including calling Lubin out on Twitter. But the meeting of the two crypto thought leaders on Tuesday did not disappoint, especially in terms of how much crypto was wagered. Here's the terms. If Ethereum is doing great four years from now, Song will pay Lubin or his beneficiary 810 ETH. If the DAP economy is sputtering at that point, Lubin will send Song almost 70 Bitcoin. For Lubin to win, Ethereum needs to have 15 unique DAPs achieving 10,000 or more daily active users and 100,000 monthly active users for any six calendar months and any 12 calendar month period up to and including May 2023. To be clear, this is not a small bet for either side, and both acknowledge that whatever side, whichever side wins, it will hurt badly. It's also possible the loser will be giving up considerably more money in 2023 than they would today. When the bet was first made on May 14th, 2018, BTC was trading at $8,577, so Lubin had effectively bet $598,000 based on prices at the time. That's uh, 564307 at today's prices. The difference in ETH was much more stark, however. At the time of the bet last year, ETH was trading at 722 so Song effectively bet 586000 at price at, at prices at the time, but only 168000 at today's prices. Man, that should tell you everything right there about shit coins. If he wins, Song was very clear that the BTC will go straight to him. I want it to hurt for you, Song told Lubin. I don't want you to feel like you were donating to a charity. Savage! Savage. I'm fine with that, Lubin replied. God, so savage. It's just painfully savage. Man, Song just ripping the hearts out of people, dude. Damn, that is... That's some extreme shit right there. So the terms have slowly been hammered out over the last year since the bet was first spoken into existence. The two sides have been working on a shared document that they've committed to share with Coindesk once the final piece is in place, settling on a public arbiter. Jimmy's thesis was that there would be no significant applications on blockchain, and the only thing relevant in blockchain was Bitcoin, Lubin said on the Coindesk Live. My thesis is Bitcoin is awesome, and there's a narrow there's a narrow set of use cases built on Bitcoin, and that's wonderful. We love that, but decentralized applications are also really useful. So they're you know, Lubin and Song are pounding it out. Um, it'll be interesting, but 2023 is a long way off, man. It, that is a god in this space. That's like glacier or you know geologic time span so i don't know we'll have to see what happens uh and then the last thing but i'm not going to read this one is that coinbase rolls out trading in usdc stablecoin to 85 countries so expanding their reach of their scam uh coinbase looks to dupe a whole bunch of other countries into buying their shit coin and that's going to do it for your morning roundup guys always want them here they are vital statistics bitcoin is at a average of 7961 it looks like the high is going to be over at where is it now this my screen keeps changing on me 
Uh, looks like Bitstamp is going to have the high at 7,954 and the low is going to be over at Coinbase Pro at 7,940. A hundred, or I'm sorry, uh, 339,000 transactions have been made over the last uh, 24 hours, 14,000 transactions per hour on average, uh, 2.9 or 2.19 million BTC have been sent over that last 24 hours with, with an average sent per hour of 91.6, I'm sorry, 91,600 BTC. Average transaction value is 6.48 BTC. The median is 0.061 BTC or right around 500 bucks USD. Uh, Block time is stable at 10 minutes and 4 seconds. 1.14 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. And 161.6 BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. Hash rate precipitously dropped by 11.5% over the last 24 hours, but we are still hovering just above 50 exahashes per second. Last GitHub commit to Bitcoin Core was yesterday, the 14th. From left to right, Ethereum is 231. Bcash is set 300, ugh, 372. Litecoin is 93. BSV is 62.5. Ethereum Classic is seven, $7.15. Huh, who'd have thunk it? Dogecoin is at 0.0031 USD and at 30,000 transactions per second, it is back over BSV or sorry, 29,000 transactions over the last 24 hours has put it on top of BSV again, uh, who's carrying 21 point or 21,900, but it's under Bcash uh, again at 62,700 transactions per second. Ugh. I hate altcoin season. I really do. It's just watching people lose their money makes me so sad. Oh, yes, I know. I'll get I'll get people saying shit about about it to me. But in the long run, you're going to lose your money. In the short term, you may be buying Lambos, but dudes, man, it's just it's just if you sell those bags and you know and you're just like jumping up and down realize that you took somebody else's money and they are probably way less better off than you are so please get out of shit coinery So today's song is from, uh, or is, is a song that has fooled me into believing it's has been queen every single time that I've ever heard it until it got so damned annoying. I had to go find the damn song so that I could prove to myself that no, it wasn't some kind of unheard song from queen, which if you haven't ever listened to queen, what are you doing with your life, man? Those, those guys were badass. So this is a band called fun and some nights. Now I picked it because there's a lot of stuff in it that just, it just kind of reminds me of the space being on either end shit coin trading or, you know, trying to damn the man and, you know, long Bitcoin short, the bankers. There's like, there's just all kinds of messages in here that just reminds me of all you guys. So I thought I'd play you this one. Some nights I stay up cashing in my bad luck. Some nights I call it a draw. Some nights I wish that my lips could build a castle Some nights I wish they'd just fall off But I still wake up, I still see our 
either that for this I miss my mom and dad for this No When I see stars When I see, when I see stars That's all they are When I hear songs They sound like a swan So come on amazing things they can come from some terrible Marty's bent is for Tuesday, May 14th, 2019, issue number 483, Old Fashioned Justice is the Best Justice. Eddie's got a, a tweet up here from uh, Porto, or Dennis, uh, this is the right way to collect stolen funds, no need to break protocol, and he is actually retweeting from the next we- at the next web, New York's Boston bandit ordered to pay $75 million to SIM swap victim. <laughs> so we're getting back to that SIM swap thing. Let's see what Mark's got to say about it. In light of this laughable topic of conversation that reared its head last week after Binance's CEO posited a chain rollback in reaction to having BTC stolen from his exchange, I thought it was imperative to share this take. When an individual user or entity has a mental technical lapse that results in the theft of their precious Bitcoin, we should not punish the whole network for their clumsiness. Instead, we should rely on old-fashioned detective work to track down the culprits of the theft and bring justice to those wrong. Disputing the Bitcoin network or disrupting the Bitcoin network for something like this seems a bit like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But if you ask, if you ask Uncle Marty, laziness is a killer and it would be a real shame if we ruined Bitcoin due to the fact that we were too lazy to roll up our sleeves and get some detective work in meat space. Hmm? Trade Wars Bullish. This is a uh, second part of uh, his bit. Presented without comment, other than it seems like we're watching Bitcoin turn into a safe haven before our eyes. And he has a couple of tweets from at BM Bernstein. China Precious stones imports from Hong Kong are increasing rapidly. This isn't because of Mother's Day. It's mainly a mechanism for wealth to escape China. The BTC rally coinciding with the trade war and looming yuan developing is not 
a coincidence. And then that same person responds to his own tweet. So much for being for BTC being risk on money is useful for the opportunity it confers on holders as geopolitical posturing and volatility increase. There's only one non sovereign digitally scarce store of value to turn to. Yep. Yep. Final thought feels like a Thursday. This week may never end. Uh, I kind of, I, I got to agree with that one, but there's kind of take an issue with the first part of the, of, of Mart's bent to even, I mean, in my mind to even make suggestion that Bitcoin could be affected. Like I think he says, what, what is it that he says? What is it that he says? Good God. My grammar is just terrible. Um, yeah, disrupting the Bitcoin network for something like this seems a bit like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And then he goes on to say, it'd be a real shame if we ruined Bitcoin. And between those two statements, you know, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I know what he's doing. I know where he's going. Marty's a solid, a solid bro. But uh, that one, I kind of don't agree with it, that it could even, that it's even possible to to disrupt Bitcoin uh, or to in somehow or another ruin Bitcoin. I just, I don't see it. So from that standpoint, I actually disagree with, with, uh, that particular part of Marty's bit. Still love Marty though. Still love the bit. Today's daily train wreck is brought to you by Kevin O'Reilly. Oh, I mean, sorry, Kevin O'Leary. Let's just let the man speak for himself. There's lots of other coins. Uh, I I believe Bitcoin is the king and is going to stay the king for a very long time. So I taught a class at Harvard 18 months ago that young people in that class challenged me. I put $100 into something called Coinbase, Mm -hmm. which is a wallet thing. And, uh, you buy Bitcoin? I bought them all. I bought all the crypto crap. I put $100 in. It's now worth 30 30 That's a 70% loss on my crypto crap. Now, I bought them all. 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 I think that really sucks. And I think people should understand today that the hot digital is Bitcoin. Tomorrow it could be Whatever, right? So much wrong there. There's just so much wrong all over this thing. Uh, I, I'm going to read uh, a couple of other things, like a couple of other people's tweets uh, that were replying to me or I found somewhere else about this particular exchange. Now, that particular exchange was, of course, Kevin O'Leary is the train wrecked, and he's talking to Anthony Pompliano, uh, or Pomp, as as he is known on, on Bitcoin Twitter. Um, and a lot of people give pump a lot of shit. I, I like the guy. I, I, I mean, I don't think I don't necessarily ever see him actually talking about pumping shit coins. I, and just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So, you know, I, I'm also sympathetic to, to, uh, to the other side that are just like the hardcore maximalist side, but I, you know, I, I can't help it. I, I still like pump and I actually like him even better after this, because I got to tell you, man, knowing what pump knows uh, and and have and watching him sit there and not just bust out laughing in the most disrespectful and and you know unprofessional way is a testament to the fact that the man is a, is a pro. 
he's a professional man. And I, I really have, a, I got a lot of respect for that because the minute that dude said Coinbase is a kind of wallet thingy, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm dead. It was like, I just, I, it's like I caught one like right between the eyes. Right. So, yeah. So, so again, you know, I know there's a, he, he takes a lot of shit on, on Bitcoin Twitter and, um, I, it doesn't matter if it's deserved or not. I just happen to be, you know, I'm kind of a fan. I also like his podcast a lot. Um, so anyway, uh, with that said, getting back to all the wrong that was produced, uh, from Kevin O'Leary in that clip, there's a couple of people that, um, there's actually a couple of people that, or at least this one guy, literally Guy Bennett. Hey, Guy Bennett, uh, you have my last name and I want it back. He actually spells it the same way too. Um, in this Twitter exchange, because it's like my, my initial tweet on this uh, so that I could have it and, and set it up for the show was, quote, I bought all the crypto crap. I put $100 in and now it's worth 30 end quote. Yeah, because your first response to investing in something you know nothing about was to immediately diversify into shit coinery. Sorry for your loss. Now, GFY. So Haas McCook comes back and says, it, it, he replies to me and says, um, nothing screams financial genius like buying a top and then complaining about it for two years. Two months either side of his purchase would have seen him in profit. What a stooge. So Guy Bennett writes back to that, replies to, uh, to Haas and says, the best was his description of Coinbase as this wallet thing. And I totally agree. So I, I wrote back, uh, replied back to Guy saying, oh, no doubt. The whole thing was face palmy AF trying to figure out how Pomp just didn't bust out laughing. And this is where Guy really nails this dude to the wall. Okay. I mean, he, he just, I mean, it's like watching somebody you know, nail a document to it, to the door of the church, you know, cause it was so, it's so spot on. He says, literally a professor and shaper of young minds just taught his students to say, you know what? Fuck it. Don't worry about research. Just throw some money at this wallet thing and see what happens. Not quite the scientific method. And I pondered that for a while and I was like talking to my, talking to my wife about it. And my wife teaches at the university level, you know, she's full, full bird PhD and all. And her, you know, it's, she's not about research. She's about education, you know, and, and what your ethic is as an educator. And I told her about this and, uh, she came back with the following statement. You have to be willing to do the work you want your students to do full fucking stop. And he did not teach his students the, one of the primary rules of investing. Okay. These are, these are the two that I follow most clearly or, 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 or think about all the time was what I was taught. One, never put any more money in a brown paper bag and douse it in diesel and light it on fire and throw it out of the window that you're not willing to lose when it comes to investing. If you're going to invest money, you, you need to be prepared to go to zero. You have to be prepared for that. Okay. That's investing in anything. Converting one form of wealth into another form of wealth is investing. And if you, if you make that conversion or even hold on or even not, you have to be prepared for whatever it is you hold on to, to go to zero too. The second is never invest in anything unless you understand it. Okay. This guy clearly doesn't understand what any of this is. I mean, 
Guy Bennett's right. He thinks Coinbase is this wallet thingy. And as much as we like to bag on Coinbase, Coinbase is not just a wallet thingy. Oh my God. I mean, he has, he doesn't understand the history of what's happened. He thinks that all shit, you know, that all shit coins are Bitcoin. I mean, there's so much wrong here. The education, and this guy's on, this guy's on Shark Tank. Apparently he's been nominated for four Emmy Awards or something due to his being on Shark Tank. He's a millionaire and he doesn't understand a single thing about what he invested in, which makes me wonder how he got to be a millionaire in the first place. Because generally speaking, the rule of thumb in investing is you don't invest in something that you do not understand. He clearly does not understand Bitcoin. I have Satoshi Treasure News, and this is really interesting. Uh, I'm going to start with this tweet that was released yesterday at 3.27 p.m. I, I assume my time because it's it should be set for my time. That's And I'm in central daylight time. Satoshi Treasure, Satoshi's Treasure uh, tweets out, A mini hunt for $500 of Bitcoin will take place in Manhattan over the next few days. Stay tuned and follow us for clues. And it looks like they kind of have gone, uh, got back to their roots. Not that you might not even be able to call them roots because it was like their, their, I guess their pilot game that they put out last year or whatever. So they have some, uh, they have some clues here that look like the clues that were done in their first game where there's this SSSS hyphen combine hyphen T space the number five at the head of these pictures. So it's, that was the exact, I think that was the exact same header that was on the pictures in their, their, uh, uh, pilot, uh, their pilot treasure hunt. So this, this, uh, particular one says, this is a clue. It says Manhattan mini hunt is on scan five out of 10 ST stickers to win $500 in BTC Four S's combined T five, and then it's a picture of a plant. Okay, at somewhere. Clearly, this is a consensus because the next one is is shows a uh, kiosk of some kind or another. Consensus twenty nineteen, powered by CoinDesk, is, is so it's it's this kiosk sitting on the floor, and it just says this thing. So it seems to be like a fairly tight uh, geography here, but it's a mini game. It's not the actual Satoshi's treasure hunt. It's like a mini game that got launched. And if you guys, you know, were listening to me on Monday, uh, they got uh, Satoshi's treasure got funded by a couple of companies and a few individuals to ensure that these hunts go on into the future. I can't tell you. I, I mean, if you're not watching this, you really need to watch this because I think here are going to be the following things that, that fall out of Satoshi's treasure. Full blown companies. Uh, different ways of advertising, different ways of marketing, a completely different way to get people to do things that they wouldn't normally do. And that's shouldn't be bad. You, it, you guys who are going to do like other treasure hunts, be ethical about it. Don't get, don't get your treasure hunters into trouble. Okay. You need, um, and, and, and from that standpoint, a complete, not reimagining, but a reinvestment in what we think of as, as externalized, externalizing our ethic base to other people. 
I mean, there's going to be like you start a treasure hunt and what may be totally kosher in one culture is completely off limits in another culture. I mean, you, this, I, I think one of the things that's going to fall out of this is also cultural education because these teams are being combined from different countries with clearly different cultures. It's fascinating. If you guys are not watching Satoshi's Treasure, you need to be watching Satoshi's Treasure because you're going to miss out on some of the greatest, newest ideas in the space. And I can't be held responsible because I do Satoshi's Treasure as much as I can. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by somebody other than Bad Joke Cat. When is your door not actually a door? When it's actually a jar. Get it? All right, boys and girls, I'm out. I'm going to try to figure out a way to get my damn lawnmower uh, and just take the hit that I'm I'm not going to be able to stack sats because this one, it was just God, uh, was just so God awful. And it happened so quick. It was such a horrible train wreck. <laughs> There's God. Um, and the other thing, um, yeah, I'll be a, like, a, I was, just kind of like pondering about that song that for a, uh, for song AF today, um, you know, what, what do you stand for? Uh, you figure it out. I mean, do you stand for education? Well, if so, then you should probably practice what you teach, um, instead of leading by example, because sometimes it's not do as I say, it's do as I do. And, uh, Kevin just, he basically crushed his students by, doing completely what I'm sure he has told them never to do. And that's to invest in something that they know nothing about. And boy, almighty, does he know nothing about Bitcoin. Anyway, guys, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.